What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is Eric Christensen. Um, you know him on Instagram as Eric Foyle. And a lot of guys out there, a lot of folks out there get us confused. He's always forwarding me uh, messages that he's getting on folks that uh, that think that, that he's hosting the podcast. He does not, but he is one of the most um, aggro, passionate uh, foilers out there. He's always doing his own projects. He is always uh, exploring as much as possible, testing as much as possible, and sharing all that um, on his Instagram feed. And so you guys probably follow him. And today he comes on the show to talk about just everything he's been up to. What the, uh, the no, what struck me about this show, and something that I feel too, is just how welcoming the foil community is and that's one of eric's one of the biggest takeaways from this show is how welcomed eric christensen feels in the foiling community and how grateful he is for that and and i feel the same way i mean i feel like um a hundred i don't think i've gotten any negative messages about anything um, in regards to foiling. I know when I was doing a lot in the stand-up world, that was not the case, you know, and the, the vibe was, was different. It's something I love about foiling, how inclusive it is, how excited everybody is about, you know, the different directions that the sport is heading. It's not like the strap, well, maybe in the strap world, you know, I just did a podcast with, uh, with Jack Ho, and then I just recorded one with Jason. It seems like there's some contention about straps, but, you know, it doesn't seem like guys are hating on folks who are doing hand kite stuff, or if you sup foil or if you prone foil there's there's not a big divide between the two um i think everybody's just having so much fun in the foiling world there's so much stoke to go around there's not the same scarcity that you have maybe in the surf world um that we uh everyone's stoked and everybody's inclusive and and that's a beautiful thing to be a part of you know i was thinking about it kind of i do these meditations where i just kind of think about just let my mind wander and, and my mind this morning started wandering to this reveal of foiling so if you think about a sport like say golf or baseball you know most of the mystery is gone you're not going to have something that comes out and completely shatters the you know common understanding of what the sport is but with where we are right now in foiling it's like you've got this big beautiful painting massive you know covers the whole wall that's just completely covered in you know thousands of years of dust and dave kalama and laird hamilton back in the 90s kind of scrubbed away a little piece of the painting and that was the big wave you know strapped crew toe game and then you know about four four years ago kyle lenny and his crew kind of wiped away another piece and that was the first glimpse of you know downwinding on that first video and then the first connection the first pump that he made and that was a big thing and now and now it seems like more people are fired up and everybody's kind of rubbing on the painting uh in their own places and we're we're starting to reveal what foiling is going to become but there's still a lot of mystery left i mean we've probably only revealed 10 percent of what is happening and so i mean that's one of the beauties of you know instagram is that we are getting to see in live time the the painting be revealed where in the past you didn't have that in the past you know in the surfing days you know the first air game you had to wait for the the video to come out the first vhs of rap boy doing the the air reverse and we don't have to wait for that it happens you know adam bennett's throws that 
tail out connection on his last uh, Instagram video. And we all saw it that day. And, and all of our painting, you know, the painting that we all collectively share just got a little bit more um, available. And so it's just this cool process of it being a part of it now. You know, in, in 10 years, we're going to have probably a really good idea of what that painting is going to look like. But right now, we can all just kind of experience it as it's coming out. Um, that was what I meditated on this morning. I don't know if you guys share that viewpoint or if that makes any sense, but I thought it was a pretty cool, um, I don't know, look into uh, kind of how this is, is happening. And that's one of the things that I love about doing the show is I feel in some small way it's hoping to reveal maybe a technical side or an emotional side of that painting. And it's a way that we can all connect a little bit. So, all right. On that soliloquy, let's dive into the show with Eric Christensen. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. And the next show coming up is with Jason from Foil Fever. And that's a good one, too. Um, we're on a string of, I think, really, really fun shows right now. And um, some really cool guests lined up. Adrian from Axis Foil said he's going to record. Uh, Nathan from Signature, who Kane credits with this whole pump revolu uh, revolution. Is, uh, is set to come on next week too. I can't promise that those things happen. You know, every once in a while these things fall through, but um, yeah, pretty stoked on all this. So keep the feedback coming. Let me know what you guys like, what you don't like, and enjoy this beautiful sport we share. Eric Christensen, thanks man for coming on the show. How's everything? Great, thanks for having me. I'm really honored. It's uh pretty neat to listen to these podcasts and then to actually be on one i'm stoked every time one of these things comes out it's really a treat for me to listen to uh killer it's so fun to do man i'm, I'm super happy doing them and I, I appreciate you making the time to come on i'm glad you're uh, going through all the trouble and time and effort to make these things happen i think it's really a service to the greater foil community those obsessed foil brain like the rest of us. I think there's at least 20 of us that love them. <laughs> <laughs> the true core, yeah. the, the loyal. Um, well, let's, let's start when you were exposed to foiling. Let's get a little bit of background on that and just being a Texas surfer. And then I want to get into all your, you know, projects that you're working on and all the fun stuff. Sure. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I was listening to your Dave Kalama interview and I was really taken aback by the fact that he was so early in foiling and then you, uh, and he was talking about how he really had to be kind of coaxed into taking it up again. And, uh, I was quite completely the opposite. Um, the very first video I saw of Kai Lenny out in, and I guess it was on a downwinder run and he had a great big Nash board and he was up on foil. I could not believe it. I saw that video and it changed my life from that moment forward. I was like, Oh my God, I have to do that. I don't care what it takes. I have to do that. Why? And so, Why did you, have because to what did you see in that video? I don't, um, I just, I think that I, I had kind of a, an understanding of how serious that was and how, how absolutely phenomenal it would be to be on foil and to be riding a, a perpetual ride that doesn't, it looked to me in the video, like he wasn't at the end or beginning of a ride. He was just riding and riding. And I think that was part of it. How quickly did you connect that to tanker waves? 
Uh, that took several years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a whole process in the make. So yeah, uh, as you say, I'm a Texas surfer, so it's really been a challenge um, to live a surf lifestyle in Texas. The Gulf of Mexico is not the most conducive for high performance surfing. Um, and you talk about building your life around your passion and like you had moved to Costa Rica because surfing was your passion and that's where good surfing was happening. Well, I kind of had a unique situation. I, I operate a multi-generation family cattle ranch here in deep South Texas. And so from the beginning, I've always known I'm not going to move to anywhere else. I'm, this is my place on the earth, as my dad said. Um, so kind of pinned down by the cattle ranch. And then, uh, I guess if I was wealthier, I'd travel more, but, uh, kind of pinned down and doing my thing. But I've always been into surfing since I was like 11 years old. You know, I'm, that's, uh, I was 30 years into surfing before I ever saw that Kyle and foiling video. So, so it's been a challenge. Uh, you know, the, the surf rarely gets good. It does get good occasionally, but when it would get really good here, I'd be out of shape because I hadn't been surfing much. You know, my wife kind of liked it because I'd surf once or twice a month. She mentioned that to me, how she lamented my foiling because <laughs> I used to only surf now and then. And now all I ever want to do is go surf. And she's not the, the biggest supporter of my foiling. She's not my opponent, but she's not my biggest supporter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been a challenge. And so again, foiling when it, when, when I finally got into it and got competent, it's just, just changed my life. It's, it's given me something that I can really go out and give it my all. And, and it's really kind of taken my, my mind off of some 2018 was a bad year for me. Uh, my, my mother passed away. Uh, my father descended into the depths of dementia and Alzheimer's. He's not my father anymore. So I kind of had oh, to man. lament the loss of both of my parents right in the same time that, that foiling came along. And so other people pick up drinking and other things when they get into these dark times in their life. But foiling really gave me a bright spot. Um, it was really really came along at a time in my life that I needed something to enjoy and, and pour myself into and get my mind off of the, the, the nasty stuff and bumming, bumming you out stuff. Yeah. Brian Finch came and visited me, which was a huge thing. I was really like, wow, he's coming to visit me. That's cool. And we had <laughs> like first Texas foil camp, which was a blast. Um, yeah, it's just taken me in a direction that I, I, really have enjoyed because how, kinda, how, how, go has ahead. It, how has it changed other areas of your life has it yeah so back in the earlier days of my surfing and i was in high school a, a guy showed me how to make surfboards i've been building surfboards at that time i started with svf out of california there's a guy making these epoxy blanks i guess it was xps foam <clears throat> so I'd been building boards. I'd super motivated on surfing back in high school days. And over, over the years, you know, I'd kind of gotten stale. I kind of 
gotten into a rut and surfing and I, I see the guys out there surfing now and I can see them in that same rut and they see me foiling, but I, I don't think they're waking up yet. Not, not all of them. I'm starting to get a few of them, but it's reinvigorated my, my appreciation of being in the water, building stuff again. I'm building again. I'm working at my black lab shop, ordering epoxy by the gallon. Uh, carbon fiber by the 10 yard rolls you know, <laughs> playing with this stuff and uh, it really has <clears throat> given me a new vigor i'm like stoked to get in the water as often as i can now yeah we share that man you know we had to i don't talk about it much on the podcast but we had to move back from costa rica because my wife got sick she had a brain tumor and oh, wow. she was actually the first cover girl of our family cover person of our family it's pretty pretty cool story she was just on the cover of a neuroscience magazine for her recovery which is just insane we've been super blessed i mean just like unreal but that same kind of depression thing man you know like i was living my dream for 11 years and we we got to move we had to move back and sarah's great but there wasn't there wasn't a lot of fun happening and then foiling came along and it just completely changed my outlook on everything, you know, I almost feel like it was this gift, this timely gift that was, uh, that was given, um, yeah, pretty totally crazy. can relate, but I can feel yeah. what you're talking about, man, where, you know, it's just fun to wake up, dude, just being excited. Cause <laughs> there's a one foot wave out back. Yeah. I, I think you've mentioned before in your show, that's like, is this really too good to be true? Or is this the real thing? Man? It's like surreal. Yeah. It's nuts. <clears throat> Um, talk about your projects. Let's, uh, let's, let's dive in there because that's a passion that you and I share too, is like, I love designing and figuring stuff out. And I know that you are deep into that wormhole. What what are you working on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of waver back and forth between how deep I get into it. Like early on, I had actually been building like aftermarket front wings for the Nash setup. I don't know if you knew about that, but I've been building these, uh, I called it the Dreamliner wing. The first one I sold was to uh, Shannon Stent out there in Western Australia. He's, his handle is Larry Foiler. Okay, yeah. And uh, he ordered one. He contacted me through Instagram and was like, I want one of those. And <clears throat> so I started producing them. I made, I don't know, a half a dozen of them. What, what was the idea behind the Dreamliner? So <laughs> early on in the in the development of foils, I guess they built all these, these foils for 130 pound guys, you know, right. (laughs) I think by the time you got into the game, they'd made the correction, but the Nash large front wing was the only, the biggest wing I could get for myself at the time. And when I started in foiling, I was 205 pounds. Excuse me. And, uh, so the wings just weren't big enough. And I realized that, that it didn't take me long to realize, like, I don't have enough wing under me. I can't really surf this thing. And so I thought, you know, there's not too much to this. There's no moving parts. I ought to be able to build one. So that's when I started playing with carbon fiber and, and developing this thing. And I built it. <clears throat> excuse me. I built this Dreamliner wing. And looking at it now, it's pretty um, crude and old technology, but at the time it worked and it made it possible for me to go to the next level with my foiling. And, uh, 
I had a mold and I was producing them and everything. How, how did you make the mold? So I watched a bunch of videos online on how to make fiberglass molds. And there's some biker dude out in Pennsylvania or something that was gave step-by-step step on how to make a fiberglass mold properly. Pretty good stuff. He's making, you know, fairings for motorbikes and uh, baggage, luggage racks and things. But uh, anyway, it's uh, old-school fiberglass stuff using PVA and tooling, uh, gel coat and carnauba wax and pretty – pretty uh, tried and tested technology for mold making that's how they make their boats out here in our neighborhood we got a pretty famous boat factory that's within three miles of my house but uh so yeah so how'd you molding, design the, the first one to then build the mold around you know there's people that that want to take it to the uh computer assisted drawing programs and and you know all that stuff's beyond me. I mean, I, I looked at what wings were working for people, you know, I'm looking at, at uh, the wings that people are riding well on the internet and thought, you know, if I can kind of be influenced by that shape and kind of merge that shape with another shape of another one, looks like it's working well. I could maybe come up with something that works well. I mean, just by eyeball, I guess is uh, how I did it. And you shaped it in clay and then made the mold around it or something like that? Uh, I shaped it in EPS and then I wrapped it and laminated it in multiple layers of carbon fiber uh, fabric. And then I went out and surfed it and it was like super good. Like, wow, this thing is great <laughs> compared to what I've been writing. And then like uh, third session in, broke it in half because I didn't have enough layers of carbon on it. But, but – the shape worked. So I took the shape, I took the broken in half wing back to the shop, glued it back together, refared it, did it like a body shop job. And that's when I made my mold off of it after it had been tried until it was broken. That's epic, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. That's so and I started good. cranking them out. And then when I made them, made them out of the mold, I could make them, you know, way stronger. And so, yeah, I sold a few of those. It's pretty cool. I sold, uh, First one to Australia, I sold one to a guy out in California, a guy in Florida. Um, I sent I sent one to uh, Kyle Maligro out in Kauai. I wanted him and Brian to try it out. And I was all excited about that, get the feedback from Kyle. And so got all that process done, sent it to him, and he got back to me with a review of the Dreamliner out in Kauai and he said he couldn't make it work. It was terrible. <laughs> it was way too much wing for him. He said, I get on the thing and I try to pump and it's like a seesaw. It just wouldn't go. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was like, Whoa, that's kind of a bummer. I guess the same wing doesn't work for everyone. Well, and they got a lot more juice out there, right? Like, yeah, it's a different setup, different, uh, all together. Yeah. But yeah. that's, I don't know. I came out of surfing thinking you, you're going to get a magic wing and that's going to be the one that you take out and surf all the time. But the more I get into this thing, the more I realize you got to have a full on quiver. You like, got to get out there, assess this, the conditions, take all the variables into consideration and you better carefully plan 
your setup for the day because if you get the wrong gear, it could ruin your session. I've had a lot of sessions ruined because I picked the wrong item to screw together. Yeah. Let's talk about your uh, your quiver there. What What's your current quiver? So, yeah. So, I've arrived at uh, riding axis foils for several different reasons, but one of those reasons is that there are just so many parts available and uh, besides the fact that the, the foils work really well, there's just so many options and uh, there's room for growth because I believe that you have to be you better have something coming in the mail pretty uh, to be going to the next level because I look back at my, my failure as a high performance shortboarder <laughs> and I had one board for you know 10 years and and I rode the same level for 15 plus years um, never really made a lot of progression so the things that I work the my my way of operating in shortboarding is the opposite of how I do it in foiling uh, so I always want to be trying something new, trying to get to the next level. I don't want to get stuck in a rut. <laughs> the, <laughs> the getting stuck in a rut thing is really on my mind because I was there for so long. I don't know how I was there for so long shortboarding and not realize it, but anyhow. Part, that's partly because you lived bridge. in Texas, I think. Yeah, that's probably a big <laughs> don't, part Don't be too hard on yourself, man. <laughs> Why was I riding a shortboard? Yeah, yeah, some of my best sessions were on a 10-4 Yeah. Anyhow. So, so what gear are you? You're on Axis foils, but what do you like? I've I've got some buddies who ride them. I've seen a lot of the the stuff. What do you like? So yeah, um, uh, I really liked their 750 wing. So that one's kind of small. It turns real well. Um, I was really getting into that one, and then the 900 came along, and I'd heard so many good things about the 900, and so I ordered one of those, and. Uh, that thing is amazing. And um, so since I started foiling, I've lost a whole bunch of weight. Uh, we joke that I'm a foil tweaker, <laughs> <laughs> losing weight but not teeth. But anyway, um, so I've lost a bunch of weight, and so I was able to ride the 900, which is a relatively small wing for me. I'm down to 175 now. Uh, and it's taken some sessions to get used to it to learn that wing. But holy cow, is it amazing. Um, what did you have to learn? Where was the learning curve compared to what? If you could, I mean, a lot of folks use the podcast as a gear guying, gear buying guide, but also just as a, you know, a, a roadmap to getting better. So any of those little tidbits, the nuance is not lost, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, so learning it is um, the way the way that you initiate a, a pump back out on that 900 is is a lot different than say that I'd been riding the the big 102 the big 1020 wing on small waves and so when you take off out of a wave you kick out out of a wave and start pumping back out you know it doesn't really matter what speed you're you don't have to leave the wave with much speed. It doesn't matter. You can make a lot of errors. You can be pumping real low to the water. You can be pumping with the wing very close to the surface. You can be using great form. You can be using terrible form. Your rhythm can be all over the place, and it's going to work. <laughs> it just it works. So I guess it can perpetuate bad habits. 
and you don't know it until you ride like a wing like the 900 that takes a little more skill a little more finesse a little more um <clears throat> technique to operate it so yeah coming out of the wave you you really are served well to come out with as much speed as you can kicking out and then uh it makes all the difference in the world to have that wing close to the surface when you pump it when you have it close to the surface and you pump it like your cane then it works but if you bury that thing deep and you have the board close to the water it's just not good to pump it just runs out of gas it's got a flat tire yeah but uh you have to know what you're doing but at the same time i would i would bet that i could pump if I had a distance pumping contest, I'm betting that I could win it on the 900 over the 1020, even though it's such a sm much, much smaller wing. But uh, with the right technique, it, you can really get a lot of bang for your buck out of that sucker. That's awesome. So you've got the 900, the 1020. Uh, what else you ride? So I'm super excited because uh, – Santa Claus brought some new goodies to try, which is one of the sources of frustration for me in this latest flat spell. I went on vacation. Surf was cranking while I was gone. It was like best ever pictures all over the internet now. Oh, man. Came back. <laughs> and literally as I'm driving back, I'm watching the surf cam, watching the swell drop. And by the time I got home, it was flat, flat, flat. So, And it's been flat since I've been home for three or four or five days. So um surf comes up tomorrow we've got all the new stuff to try epic uh what is it what do you so, have so so i've been hearing about this and i've never seen it i've been hearing about this big uh 1010 downwinder axis wing and uh i got when i unzipped that case and looked at it holy cow just again back to the visual assessment of it visually assessing it i think it's going to work really well um it's got less overall curve than the the 900 and the 1000 high aspect wing it's got a lot more cord and it carries it all the way out to the wing tips it's it's nice looks like a straight razor that's it and uh it's really looks like it's going to be a, a fun one to try if it if it performs as well as it looks i'm super stoked i want to go see what I can do. It's supposed to be super, super windy tomorrow. So maybe I can pump out and keep heading North, see how far I can go. Um, it's so fun. Yeah. So then the, uh, I, I think w weight is super critical on these things. Uh, I've really come to believe that weight is huge. Um, I'm always obsessed with wanting to know how much people weigh when I see what they're riding. It's kind of weird, but it I is kind of weird, isn't it? But I, I yeah. am too. It makes people, a huge difference, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to have like trading cards for all the the big name foilers. I want to know their height, their weight, what they're riding, because <laughs> uh, all the stats. I feel like every video should have a little credits part with the <laughs> what foil and what what the rider weighs. Yeah, weight, age. Yeah, which tail wing, how yep. much it's been chopped. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I've been riding the 900, and I love it. And I just got it dialed when our water got cold, and now I've been riding a 
wet with a wetsuit, and oh my gosh, the I don't know how much weight a wetsuit adds to my person, but oh, it's just not quite enough wing under me now. So I'm like, I got to get that 1,000, which is the big brother to the 900. So a little more wing, but the same advantages. Super fast, super good pump. Um, that 900. I'm sure the the 1000 is the same too because it's just a scaled up thing. Is uh, it locks in when you get going fast? That thing locks in and gets more stable. The the big um, 1020. That thing is wonderful in a lot of ways, but you get that thing going really fast and it can unexpectedly. I don't know. It's just maybe it's my lack of skill, but it would unexpectedly unexpectedly launch me out of the water just come flying out of the water and then ragdoll and i got going really fast are you feeling so a buddy of mine here um i talk about him on the show so because uh he's the guy i foil with most he's actually coming up today we're gonna ride but uh it's mike pedigo and he's he's on go foil stuff i ride mostly unifoil mfc stuff but we both feel on the higher aspect wings as we are going faster especially with the chopped tails that the nose wants to pull down. So as we're going faster and faster, we're having to go more and more back foot weighted. Um, are you feeling that on the axis gear stuff too? I actually, I'm, uh, I haven't experienced that one. No, not on, uh, not so far. No. Um, sounds like the opposite of that, the big lower aspect wing. Right. Yeah. Um, I haven't experienced that, but yeah, that's one of the things that that really stuck out to me when I started learning this 900 wing is get going really fast and it starts to feel like it's on rails. Right. It was uh, pretty cool because <laughs> you kind of start clenching when you get going really fast and you're, you're in the habit of getting ragdolled when you get going really fast, you start to anticipate the wipeout. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of nice to not not have to do that. And that 900 was, uh, I think it was tuned perfectly for those tanker waves when we went up there with Joe at the uh, Galveston Bay in the Texas City Ship Channel. That, uh, that wave moves fast. It's not like an ocean wave. And so that foil was just perfect for keeping up with that 11 knots or whatever it was that that wave is traveling. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's foiling and especially those videos you've been dropping are hilarious to me because I had one of my best friends from Costa Rica send me one of your videos and say, we need to go to Texas. <laughs> and just the That's irony great. of that statement yeah. from someone that who currently is. lives in Costa Rica. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> There I was bragging in the parking lot to all the local surfers. I got a guy from Hawaii coming to visit me because he look he likes the look of these waves and wants to come surf with me. How, how hard? Yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. How hard is it to score that? I mean, are you guaranteed if you go out? What's the? Uh, what do you? How, how do you do it? How do you set it up? Oh, the the tanker waves. Yeah. So uh, I had scored some here locally, and uh, we get like uh six ships a month or something that will make a good wave to the Brownsville deep water ship channel. And so 
my buddy knew the harbor pilot here and so he was chasing it for a while so we had scored like twice and it's real hard to get here because the the ship traffic is just so low here but so i had expectations when we went up to visit joe they had it all set up like a guided service man they had the big boat they had the ski with the sled they had the guy on the phone the wizard of oz behind the curtain telling us where the ships are going to be and when we got into those waves over there oh my god it was a different level like we weren't even talking about the same thing it was one of those few experiences i've had where i went into a situation with expectations and was just blown away it was so much better than what i was expecting um so yeah and and so i didn't know what the frequency was because these guys had it all orchestrated so perfectly i thought you know this must be you have to go with these guys and these guys have to know everything and so my buddy lance okrasinski went up there with another guy um, that lives up there and they tried to score tanker waves I don't know, three weeks after our, our initial tanker wave expedition up there. And sure enough, he scored it. There's just enough ship traffic to where you're there on any day. and You just pick out a container ship and try to time your position to be in the right spot when that tanker, that container ship comes past and, and they scored. Um, so apparently that place, the more wind there is, the crappier it is to to try to deal with it because there's so much open bay water out there. Um, it just gets real choppy if there's any kind of breeze. So when we were there, it was super cold, but it was super calm. And so it was epic. It was worth freezing the toes off. <laughs> but yeah, apparently, if you can just check the forecast for a day when there's not a lot of wind and you know where to go, you can score. What, what does that feel like? I haven't ridden, I mean, I've ridden, you know, poached some bigger boat wake, um, wakes, but um, nothing to that extent. Does it feel like surfing? I mean, are you able to do turns or are you pretty much just keeping up with it? It's, it's somewhat different. It's kind of halfway in between. Okay. Um, Brian was messaging me like why didn't you guys do any turns <laughs> i was like <laughs> cut us some slack man we're new to this we didn't want to lose the wave <laughs> um the uh the thing moves so quickly the wave is moving across the bottom at a lot faster than a i think a regular surf wave moves across the bottom um and so you can do these big, wide, sweeping turns. I don't know. People will probably get better. Again, we're, we're not the highest skilled foilers in the world, but uh, we're new to it also. But, yeah, it, it's these big, sweeping, carving turns. It's, it kind of had to feel to me like when you're, you're into a big rolling swell and you feel like you're getting to the part of the wave where it's starting to stand up and you're starting to accelerate. That's kind of the the feel of the wave you're you're at the we're getting ready to go fast part of the wave and uh it was a trip yeah how long were rides yeah kikoa got one it was 19 minutes the day before we got there on the same wave that's not even multiple connections that's the same wave and then 
And then uh, Lance slung me in, and I rode one with Kikoa the next day, and and uh, the first day we were there, and he recorded that ride at 22 minutes. What? We we went over five miles across the bottom. Oh my one way. goodness! I fell twice. I so I fell, and then Lance picked me up, got me up on foil again. I was on that 900, and I was like, "Go, Lance, go!" He's on the ski. And I just gritted my teeth, and he's going like 25 miles an hour to catch up to the wave. And I'm like, I don't foil this fast. I'm not a kite foiler. <laughs> anyway, he caught me up, and I rode it for a while. And then I started trying to talk to Kakoa during the ride, lost my concentration, wiped out again. So he caught me up to it again. And then it got to the part of the, I don't know, the bathymetry of the Galveston Bay changed. And the wave just mysteriously went flat and the ship is still cruising along, still making a wave and it's nothing's changed except for, I guess the bottom shape or depth or whatever. That's, that's strange, huh? Yeah. Makes and then sense. it gets to another spot that, man, that spot's really going to get some play in the future. In my opinion, sorry to blow all your spots, Galveston guys, but there's spots. There's, um, there's an Island and that wave breaks point break style off the edge of the island and it's a breaking pitching wave it's a little smaller but it pitches and that's gonna that's gonna be some country we gotta explore i've got a uh, i've got a buddy named steve levy who lives out there and he's a big sub surfer um great dude he used to come down and surf with me in costa rica but he's always telling me i had to come surf that point break wave i think it's the same one. Oh, cool they've yeah. got it all dialed out there and yeah, they've been surfing it for years out there on surfboards, but you have to ride a great big board because yeah. it's, it's not an ocean wave. But yeah, and uh, apparently some of these guys that have been surfing it for years never explored parts that, uh, like when Lance went up there to meet with a guy that lived there, Lance is like, hey, this is where we went with Joe. And the guy's like, oh, wow, we've never been out there. Because it doesn't break, they never explored it with a surfboard, you know. So, new foil territory on the same way. Because that, that Galveston ship channel, that ship travels like 20 miles before it gets into harbor in that lagoon, in that bay. So, a lot of, a lot of place to explore. That's insane. Um, I know, I'm going to switch gears for a little bit on you. I know that yeah, you sure. design boards as well you were talking about um you know your your do-it-yourself projects talk about the boards that you're shaping and um what you like in a board why it's important um yeah so <clears throat> it's kind of silly but the the place we go get our blanks from is a roofing company so the blanks are limited to four foot long by six inches thick by 24 inches wide. So that's the parameters we work in. <laughs> I can hook you up with my guy at Marco if you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we'll have to start ordering some real blanks and one pound EPS is real hard to work with. Um, so yeah, working in the parameters of that four, four O has been kind of limiting. Again, I kind of got stuck in a, for a short time, I got stuck in a too small of a foil board rut, and I've been riding boards that were too small for about six months. Till um, why too small? Oh, no. What what's the uh, what makes a board too small? 
for you? So for me, yeah, there's the the ability to paddle in. The volume just wasn't there. The the length and volume. Uh, when when I was surfing with Brian Foil Camp 1.0, he's like, "You need to get on a bigger board. You're gonna, you know, increase your wave count." And he was right. And so, since I have been on a bigger board, I have increased my wave count. Daniel from Onofoil contacted me, and we set that board up that he sent me. And oh my gosh, did I? I can catch anything now compared to how I was riding before. So just What's paddle in ability. So it's uh, four four by twenty one. It's good and wide and good and thick. Got a lot of volume. It's got a ton of volume for for what uh, size it is. I think it's thirty nine point something liters. What's the Huge. downside of going bigger so far? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. I mean, it, I guess I do slap the nose more often. I had really gotten spoiled with pumping a tiny, tiny board. And I think I had perpetuated some bad habits. And in the, the radius of which I pump, the, the angle kind of, got to where I was a little spoiled at being able to really crank that thing way up and way down. And now with a longer board four, four sounds longer. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I slap the nose more often than I'd like. Um, but it's just a bad habit. I got to work out. I got to get rid of that. But that's the only thing I can think of, but so many more ways. Yeah. I caution your listeners against going too small unless they're doing dock starts or getting towed because you're going to penalize your wave count and your ability to get in earlier. Um, I was writing stuff that was down to like 19 liters and stuff. It was just great once you're going, but it's just my sessions were half as many rides. Um, what type of construction are you playing around with and, how has that affected the feel? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I I started out with hand-laid carbon and fiberglass just to wrap up the package. And uh, then I moved on to uh, vacuum bagging. And and when I, when I got into the vacuum bagging, I saw the benefits, I think, but since I've been playing with it, there's so many consumables on vacuum bagging. You got the, the peel ply and the the bagging film and you got all the, the bleeder breather material. There's just so much stuff. And, and the other thing is I'm working by myself in my shop and to get all that stuff lined up and wrinkle free. And in the period of time when you're working with that epoxy is just a nightmare. So, my skill level and my setup to be doing high-level vacuum bagging, I don't think is quite there yet. So I've kind of tabled that for future. Uh, the disadvantages by far for what I was doing was outweighing the advantages. And so now I've got sort of a modified setup. Um, I'll have to give credit to my my master Jedi, Jedi sensei, <laughs> Um, Dwight, he's been helping me out from east coast of Florida over in your neighborhood, further down south, um, Cocoa Beach. He's been really guiding me on 
construction techniques, very generous with his knowledge of how to build these things, building some top quality stuff. He's the guy that makes it all happen and does it all right. I'm the guy that tries to do what he does and screws it up and then learns from my mistakes. What are his best tips for do-it-yourself builders? uh, The two that pop out. Don't work with one pound EPS. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, his... Is uh, I don't want to give away all his secrets, but uh, yeah, the lamination is not like regular surfboard lamination for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one, your uh, EPS will soak up a ton of resin. So if you try to lay the fabric on the EPS blank and then pour resin on top and laminate with a squeegee, that's that resin is going to soak into that EPS like a sponge. So you'll end up with a super strong board, but it's going to be a heavy sucker, and you're going to spend a lot of money on resin. So um, you can't use traditional surfboard building uh, techniques on EPS. And carbon fiber fabric, it it doesn't like to be um, saturated from one side. So you're not going to lay dry fabric on a blank and saturate from the top and push uh, an adequate amount of epoxy through the fabric with a squeegee from the top doesn't work um so you have to you have to lay it out on a table and you have to saturate the fabric and then you have to flip it over and saturate the other side of the fabric and you have to apply it as a prepreg so that was an interesting tip that was a big breakthrough that's and i i love I love the feeling of wrapping, you know, there's all different techniques that people have for doing the lap around the rail and the nose and the tail. But I think my wife would laugh because I hate, I hate sticky when the kids have lollipops and they get me sticky. I just, oof, it gives me the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> but, but uh, she'll laugh because I hate sticky. But I love to put on my nitrile gloves and to get my gloves all saturated with epoxy and to hand lap that rail and the nose with that carbon fabric it just it works so nicely under the hands that i don't know i just get a kick out of that sensory experience of lapping the the rails with my hands and the nose um you have any tricks so that you're not getting fibers to pull out that's always a, a tough part especially with carbon i find yeah it's a it's a mess. I, I wish I did. Uh, my buddy, my buddy that built boards, he, he told me the trick that, um, you go around with a pair of scissors and you snip, um, toward the, like if the fabric is laid on the board, you snip toward the center of the board all the way around snip, snip, like, I don't know, quarter to a half an inch in. And you cut the, you cut the fibers that are going perpendicular to the scissors if you know what i mean and uh and then you go back with your gloved hand and you pull you pull whatever will come loose you pull it out and you go and you do that real thoroughly before you do your lap before you do your lamination and that that helps a lot that's cool so i don't know if you knew about that trick but no there it is i i hated that part and then i got into doing a lot of cut laps and then I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I just cut a little bit extra. 
not worry about it. You zipper it when you're, you know, yeah, securing. that's, that's a, a whole art form. Yeah. I, I had been trying to do some cut laps. I don't know. I'm, I need to be more of a perfectionist if I'm going to be into serious board building. <laughs> <laughs> I look at stuff and I'm like, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> so glassing is not really my forte. I can make it work, but uh, it's not my fade. Um, what about when you're installing your boxes? I mean, that's the big problem that everybody's having in the industry right now is that boxes are blowing out. Yeah, um, I think you really got into something when you when you started doing your dual stringers that are tied to the boxes i think you really arrived at something that's that's gonna be the future of the industry in um, my opinion that'd be really um, cool we're doing some experimentation right now and trying to figure out um and i won't let the cat out of the bag yet okay but uh but building on that and then getting it lighter because there's a place for heavier boards and there's a place for lighter boards is what we're finding um but yeah, no, I, I don't want to get into all that right now. But what what are your tips and what are you thinking about when you do that? And you know, the other well, thing, so, that I, yeah. part two to that question is, are boxes the best way to be doing this? Because why is using old surfboard technology the best thing for us going forward? You know, maybe you know, it was a V1 type of, you know, solution to a problem. I think that foiling is going to be its own thing. I think that there's room for you know, research and design. Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting question. I've thought, I've thought the same thing. We're using freaking longboard fin boxes. Seriously. Right. This is high tech stuff. You know, we're, <laughs> it makes no we're sense everything is built out of prepreg carbon fiber, you know, and then we've got these ABS longboard fin boxes <laughs> that we're buying. Um, in my opinion, if, if I could see the mounting of hydrofoils going into the future the way it makes the most sense to me is you just build a board with a little recess, a rectangular recess, and those guys out there at foil mount and sell you a thing, you just peel and stick down in the recess and bam, you're done. Have you played with the foil mount stuff? Is that staying on? I know the early versions of that had a problem with um, coming off or ripping off the bottom of boards and because, you know, they're not glassed for that type of... Yeah, they, they built uh, – the newest version is made out of uh, pretty pretty thick carbon fiber. And it's really? Super high quality. Yeah, it's – the adhesive is just top-notch. And uh, I built a board for the foil mount, didn't even put any boxes in it. And so I mounted that thing to a clean, never touched the water, never been outside of the fiberglass shop board. And man, that's the way to do it. I mean, I, I can't speak for once you've been in the water and once you've waxed the board and got it around your board wax and your carpet of your car and all that. But when you got the surface clean, you stick that thing on there. I've had no trouble. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and how long has that been on? A, did you glass specially? Did you do like a carbon? Was it a carbon board? Um, yeah. Underneath? So what I did. So what I did. Yeah, I did. Um, some stringers in there just below the surface so that okay. it wouldn't break right ahead because there's still going to be a stress point in the board right ahead of where the foil mounts. Yep. It doesn't matter. Uh, you have to have some strength in there. And EPS, EPS boards that we're building have no stringer. So that's been a, a consideration. 
So early on, I was just putting in a lot of high-density foam around where the boxes were and trying to get it forward. So we'd cut out a pretty big chunk of the board and put in high-density foam, which has a lot of disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's expensive. It's nasty chemical stuff. Um, and then I've been getting this stuff that exotherms so hot when you pour this stuff, it melts your EPS. And you're like, what the heck is this? Destroy the project, you know. So anyhow, there have been a lot of problems with that mix, you know, two-part pour foam. Plus, it comes out quite a bit heavier than you want it to. Right. So there's some guys machining some high-density foam with, you know, CNC machines. That makes a lot of sense to have a tight-fitting insert. Um, but uh, I don't know. Again, uh, uh, chasing chasing it down the wrong path. I don't know how much future those boxes have. But what I've arrived at, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. They can maybe somebody else came up with it first. But if not, they can call it the Eric Christensen method. So what I do, <laughs> I get my boxes and I I glue them to a 24 inch stringer, 24 by a quarter by two inches. So it's, it's the same as what you're doing, right. except my stringer's not in the board. My stringer's loose, and then I, and then I cut a slot for each one, and then I, I mount them in there. I just got to mixing uh, Gorilla Glue and water, and that, that stuff doesn't exotherm, and it holds real good. So I got that from Kyle Maligra out there in Kauai. Team Gorilla Glue. That's epic. But, uh, now he's got a board sponsor, so he doesn't have to build his homemade boards anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't have to either, but uh, still play with it. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, the I take the stringer and I glue it to the box, and then I go back with old school chopped mat and fin rope, and I attach the box very well to the stringer um, with with fiberglass and then let that cure real good before I install it. And that's been what I've been doing lately. And it comes out real light and it comes out real strong and there's absolutely zero flex. I, I am of the camp. I think you and I agree on this, that any flex in, in foiling is bad. I don't believe in any flexible parts. I don't believe that any flex adds any benefit to anyone. I, I, I've made that discovery by having boards that failed. I was doing a dock start session one time and my first two dock starts were really good. And I, I went back for a third and I, I got up on foil and I'm going and I pump and then the thing just stalled and I fell. I was like, what the (laughs) heck? And I did it again, stalled, fell, did it again, stalled, fell. I'm like going crazy with frustration. Like what's going on? And then I got the foil back to the dry ground and put the board on the ground and I could feel the flex. The The whole foil was flexing back and forth. My boxes had gotten loose. And when your boxes get loose, even the, the foil moving like one inch back and forth, um, you cannot pump it. You cannot do a dock start on a, a foil that flexes one inch. So... Less of that is better, I found. Yep. I had the exact same experience where I had one starting to get loose and I didn't know it. And 
I was over two days pumping worse and worse. Could, it was harder to connect. And <laughs> it know, was, yeah. dude, the, the flex was quarter inch maybe. Yeah. And it was massive. Shocking. Shocking. Yep. I have a, I have a buddy that I th- think is, uh, I kind of, I learn a lot from him. And one of the things he always talks about is you just, you know, to get an idea of where trends are going, take it to the extreme whether something's good or bad. And so if you like, you know, think about foiling on a wet noodle, that would be bad. So flex should yeah. probably be bad. Um, yeah. To the other extreme, you know, pumping on something that had zero flex is not bad. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we're learning. Uh, I, I do a lot of my learning. Uh, who was it? Alexander Graham Bell or somebody that said Thomas Edison figure out all the ways not to do it. I've, I've figured out all the wrong ways to do a lot of these things. It's like every project I put together, I'm like, oh, okay, screwed that up. Now I know not to do that next time. It's like one thing, one lesson in each project that I put together. So I finally, I think, got the boards. Like, okay, I've worked all the bugs out of my board building. I can finally build a board however many years after I started. <laughs> Now that I can build them, I don't have to build them, and I don't necessarily want to build them anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I still build them. Um, that's because building stuff is fun. And there's nothing more fun than riding something that you built. doesn't matter if it's not quite as good as something that somebody else built. It's still better to ride your it's, own stuff. It's really quite a quite an experience. to. And like my foil wing, I was foiling thinking like, I built this wing. This is crazy. Talk, talk about that. We haven't mentioned it yet. Which one was that? The, the my homemade. Wing. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about okay, yeah, yeah. So Calvin and I were looking at these uh wind wings on Instagram. That's the one you're talking about, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we were like, we gotta build one of those. So I was like, I don't know if the leading edge of that thing has to be inflatable. We can make something that'll work. It's just gotta catch the wind, right? And so went out and dug around and dragged out some old PVC from underneath my shed and bowed it and wrapped it with a tarp and use the heat gun. You can do some pretty cool shaping of PVC with a heat gun and uh, made a boom, made it duotone style, made like a three meter wing. And uh, it was pretty fun. We went and skateboarded with it and it was, it worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, now that I have the the store bought version, I can see the advantages. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they have. I've seen those pictures of like uh, the kid in Africa that really wanted a bicycle, but he couldn't get a bicycle, so he's got one like built out of two by fours. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt with my first foil and my first foil wing. My I got these things. So when I reeling back to the very beginning, when I first saw that Kyle Lenny video, you know foils weren't commercially available i was super early on and i was like oh my god i have to have one of those so i went out to the the shop and i'm like grinding down wood to get the right shape of a mast and a fuselage and i'm glassing this stuff super heavy with like roving (laughs) and i built my own like diy this is what a hydrofoil is supposed to look like and Honest to God, I made a hydrofoil with core of wood, plywood, front wing, glassed heavy. 
and uh, no kidding, attached it to a 10 foot four SUP foam, I don't know, some Sam's Club type board. <laughs> and uh, I took it out in the surf for these dreams that I'm going to be up on foil and flying on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know how many frustration sessions I had on that thing. It broke, I'd fix it. It'd break in a different part and I'd make it more reinforced. But finally, one evening, it was starting to get dark and I'm out there. This is like, it must have been 2016. It was early on. And I I don't even think I had the paddle with me. I'm like prone paddling this 10 foot four monstrosity with this Africa foil underneath there. <laughs> And uh, I dropped into a wave and I'm surfing it and I'm like bouncing up and down on this thing. It wouldn't come up on foil and I'm like dancing all over the board. Where do my feet go? What the heck? And I finally got far enough back and that stupid thing came up on foil and I'm like, oh my God. And when it came up on foil, it started going fast and it started going into this like section where the wave is starting to pitch over. And I about got killed. Thing, <laughs> thing rolled me up. And surprisingly, it didn't break the foil. But yeah, I got up on foil. That was the one time I know of that I got up on foil on my homemade foil. Till finally, uh, I don't know how much longer after that, my wife relented. And she's like, why don't you just order one? And by that time, they were taking pre-orders for Nash. I had to choose between Nash and GoFoil because that's what the choices were at that time. So I was like, uh Kyle Lenny's writing an ash. That's got to be the good one. And so I put in for the pre-order and I don't know, it was like four months before the thing came in the mail. But, uh, <laughs> I was definitely, I was definitely sold on it before I ever really got to do it. I think Brian told me that too. He saw foiling and he's like, Oh my God, I have to do this. I don't care. I have to do this. He was an adopter before he got to even try it. So good. Yeah, so that was that was my homemade foil. Um, but yeah, so we got a cu couple minutes left here. Um, anything else you wanna wanna go through? Any good stories uh, or? Yeah, I, I want to talk about the foil community for a minute because yeah, um, in my in my life throughout the my development and my adulthood, I've there have been various groups that I really wanted to be a part of. Like when I was, when I was in high school and, uh, in college, I wanted to be a, an ag teacher. I wanted to be a, an ag teacher. And so there are all these FFA kids at college and, and I was a little different than them, but they, they just wouldn't let me into that group. You know, they, they did their social events together. They, they spoke the same language and I was just an outsider. I mean, whether they were keeping me out to be mean or not, I just never was a part of that group. And then, well, when I stopped teaching, I became a full-time cattle rancher. You know, there's cattle ranchers, there's cattle ranching organizations. And I just really wanted to get in with the, these cattle ranchers and be a part of their group. You know, they have these conventions. And I went to the convention. And I tried to hang out with these people and be a part of the group and just never was accepted, just just a little too different. I don't know what it was, but just never was part of the group. But in this hydrofoiling community, I finally achieved a group that like fully and wholeheartedly welcomed me in. And I, 
I'm legitimately a part of the group and it's really been a rewarding feeling to, to be a part of this group. And I thank the people out there that have allowed me in that, you know, treated me like I'm legitimately a part of the group. So it's, you know, it's I think you're been basically cool. a founding member, Eric. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> right? Like, quite an honor. Yeah. You made, you made foils out of wood, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Not a lot been, of people can claim that. It's been great. Yeah. I've, I've really, you know, like I said, it's been a bright spot in my life. I've really been thrilled with it. So I think it's that's cool. A, a really important point, though. You know, I think all surfers wished they were there at the beginning of the exciting times of figuring stuff out. You know, like when I got into surfing, what, what development in surfing has happened since 1995? I mean, you've got yeah, the thruster, I mean, really. the snapping fins, that's exciting. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about yeah. as good as it gets, right? People, people started adding more foam back to yeah. boards in the mid 2000s. Um, and then people went back to retro. It's basically just they're unwinding back to some of the fun things that people did in the past. But, you know, with foiling, we're a part of that whole curve. And I think that's part of what makes it so exciting. And guys like you are in your garage making foils and making boards and, you know, like me too. And that's, that's the, that's the fun part. Like that's what we're a part of, right? Is just Isn't it? the unknown. It's super exciting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm, I think I'm claiming being the first Texan to ever travel to Oahu for the purpose of hydrofoiling. <laughs> That's awesome. You have to wonder, you know, who is the who is the first Californian to land on Hawaii and surf? Who is the you know the the founding fathers of surfing and the people that that brought Hawaii surfing to the mainland? Who was the first one to ever bring it to the mainland? Anyhow, yeah. There's and there's I'm, Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of social media most of the time. Like, I don't let my kids do it. I think that there's some really bad things that it does for um, psychology. But for yeah. the foiling community, the Instagram whole uh, community, it, it's really incredible. And it's it's amazing how it's helping everybody get better and, um, like, share this this knowledge. It's It's a really cool thing. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I'm with you. Um, I don't think that Instagram does a lot of people very much good. Um, mm -hmm. But like you say, for, for our community, I mean, you're not going to go to the beach and hang out with um, a lot of foil people, <laughs> maybe some people more than others. But uh, yeah, there's so few of us in the world. How would you even know? Could you imagine what social media would have done to surfing in the early days? Uh, you know, if these guys could have seen what what people on the other side of the world were doing that week in surfing, man, might have been different early on. But yeah, it's. I think that social media has been a huge positive for hydrofoil surfing. Sometimes I wonder, what about the foilers that aren't on social media? I mean, uh, <laughs> there's a few. I mean, I, we can't assume that every single hydrofoil surfer is a on Instagram, man, there's probably some guys out there that are really good. That just don't put it on Instagram. <laughs> but, but they still check it. I mean, I'm sure they're still. Yeah, I bet, I bet okay. so. That, that's a that's a discussion slash argument that I have with one of my best friends where 
we go back and forth between like the influence of the community versus being unique and figuring it out because maybe you figure out things that are special. And my thought is that if you had to figure all this out on your own, it would the learning curve would just take so much longer. Maybe you would get there, but where would the whole community be by the time you got to where it is today? If you had to figure out pumping and you didn't have Nathan and Kane to to like kind of mimic, right? Like how much yeah, is everybody else's how good is everybody's pumping right now since like Nathan and Kane have helped everyone learn that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Positively. Even little tips I've heard on your show. It was just like Holy crap, that little tidbit, just that little piece of information is like, that's the puzzle piece I was missing. Damn, yeah. I'm going to the next level now. Yeah. And it, it gets you there, absolutely. So, yeah, getting to the next level uh, is is our goal, you know. N- new gear, new physical fitness, what are the limitations of getting to the next level? Um, skill, information, um conditions so yeah absolutely we live in the information age why not use it for something positive (laughs) seriously such a good point what if all of social was people helping people get better right seriously i think it's um i have told a little story about my daughter she got assigned a project to build a kite like uh like a fly in the sky you know diamond shaped kite and, uh, so she's like, dad, you know, I'm, I'm the dad project, you know, designee. So I'm the project guy projects and I got to review, uh, term papers anyway. So, okay, dad, let's build a kite. Okay. Let's look it up on YouTube. I go through the videos. That looks like about the best kite building video. We do what the guy does in the video. We build a kite. It flies. She takes it to school. And she's like, it was really windy that day. She says, the class went out there, Dad, and people had these ungodly, hideous, ridiculous drinking straws and newspaper kites, and nobody's flew but mine, Dad, my (laughs) daughter Jane. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, tell me those kids don't use YouTube. (laughs) Like, That's like, why in the world wouldn't all those kids go straight to YouTube? The information is available. They're just not using it in a way that's positive. They're using it. I don't know. They're not definitely not using it to learn how to build a kite. I didn't know how to build a kite, but yeah. uh, we live in the information age. Why? Why be lacking? Yeah. No. I mean, YouTube's the same way, right? Like, is the guy uh, smarter every day? Like, how good is that channel? I haven't seen that one. Oh, you would I guess love I'm it. not taking full advantage of it. I'll write that down. Smarter it's, every day. Anyone out there who's semi nerdy should go check out Smarter Every Day. He uh he just does these science videos, but they're all like incredibly well done. He fires an AK underwater and No like, kidding. Oh, it's like yeah. It sounds like my kind stuff. of guy. Yeah. You'd like him. <laughs> I don't know him, but That's you'd like him. That's great. Um so how do people find you? One thing that we should say, since we're both named Eric. Um, <laughs> yeah, this has been a source of some confusion for sure. Yeah. So Eric Christensen, uh, is Eric foil on Instagram and I am Eric Antonson and mine is the progression project. So, um, we are happily sending people back and forth to each other, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hopefully there'll, there'll be uh, less confusion, not more after this show. Who knows? <laughs> 
Um, and how else do people uh, find support? Like, what do you uh, what do you want to leave folks with? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're willing, I've been trying to plug it. Um, Brian was kind enough to work with me and uh, creating the Eric Christensen collection of his merch. So we came up with some drawings. We're going to be coming up with some more and That's awesome. uh, selling some merch. Some legit foil folks put this stuff together, you know. So I, I got to say thank you, man, because I rock your shirt all the time. Oh, killer. That's great. I love motion waves. <laughs> and I do know. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered about that design. And some people are like, hey, man, I'm not into mushy waves only. <laughs> but uh, yeah, spoiler, a lot of foilers get that. But yeah, buy some merch. I mean, support small businesses, support folks that push this ball down the field. How, how do folks buy the merch? Where do they buy it? So go to Brian's Instagram. Uh, foil the world and check his his bio there's a link it goes to his shopify okay. you can buy brian finch merch too. the foil the world if it if it's not in the eric christensen collection it still supports foilers pushing the ball down the field so but uh yeah we worked a deal where i get a little a little percentage so killer uh that supports me um yeah follow me on on eric foil on Instagram. I don't really do Facebook or YouTube yet. Calvin's trying to talk me into doing YouTube, but that, that would be off in the future. Right on. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're here in Texas, deep South Texas, South Padre. So, uh, we've had some people come through and, and foil with me. That's, that's always super neat, quite a treat. So if you're in deep South Texas or central texas give me a shout come down and foil with me that'd be great that'd be fun i want to hit the tanker waves with you at some point yeah that's gonna, have up, to, that's gonna have to be some trips might have to be a foiling magazine uh article that'd be super fun yeah we'll have to do that and uh some some of the texas boys are getting together i don't know i'll throw this out there in case somebody's in the neighborhood uh january what 14th through 18th we're gonna be playing together at Padre, bringing some skis and hoping for good conditions. Lance and Tell and Curtis and the boys, Joe, I think is going to make it. There's uh, the Texas foil crew. Epic. There aren't too many of us. Yeah. It's Lance is always foiling alone up in the coastal bend area, central, you know, Texas coast. And Joe's up there in Galveston, Jason Green. There's not too many of us. But uh, when we get together, it's a pretty big event for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, thank you, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's really been an honor. I, I, I almost thought I wasn't qualified to be on the oh, show. Man. <laughs> I'm super stoked to talk about foiling for an hour. So I guess that qualifies. Me. I think that qualifies you. That and all the projects that you can. Yeah, all of it, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, guys, support Eric. Uh, go to foil the world check out his merch and uh hit him up if you're in texas yeah right on thanks